Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive and we are back live for the first time this year. Overdrive is a program that ponders the philosophical and practical aspects of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown and in this week's program we have new stories including car sales for 2019 and another Takata airbag recall. And this time it's even older vehicles. And in our feature stories, we have what to do in a car if you're in a bushfire, Banjo Patterson and transport data, trust me, Kia's quest for greater sales and quirky news with Brian Smith as we prepare for a road test of a 1976 Combi. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or of course, there's always our Facebook site, Overdrive City. So let's get started with the news. Vehicle sales in Australia for 2019 finished where they started, with a marked decline compared to 2018. Overall, nearly an 8% reduction, although to be fair, we still sold over 1 million vehicles, which represents selling 2,900 vehicles a day, or two a minute. But by selling 90,000 fewer vehicles, the industry lost approximately $2.3 billion in revenue, which is about $6.3 million a day. The reasons for the decline? Cars lasting longer, movements in exchange rates, slow wages growth, and concern about the future. All four categories, passenger, SUV, light commercial and heavy commercials, have been hit, with SUV showing the smallest reduction, down 2.4%, while passenger cars were down a massive 16.5%. More vehicles are being recalled for faulty airbags, this time for older cars. Toyota, Mazda and Suzuki have issued voluntary recalls for more than 18,000 vehicles manufactured between 1996 and 1999. The age of the cars is significant. Takata airbag mechanisms become more dangerous as they deteriorate over time. These older airbags are a little different from the models that have been previously recalled, but they still weaken over time with factors such as manufacturing variation, climate conditions, vibrations, vehicle applications or other variables not yet identified. Owners are recommended to stop driving the vehicles, and Toyota, Mazda and Suzuki are offering repair and or buyback schemes. Companies are contacting owners, but you can see if your car is affected by going to the website ismyairbagsafe.com.au. While vehicle numbers are generally down, Rolls-Royce has recorded a record year in 2019. They sold over 5,000 cars in over 50 countries around the world, an increase of 25% on 2018. Australia had an even better percentage growth of 37.5%, but the numbers are small, only 50 cars sold. 
50 cars is not much, but I looked up the prices in Australia. For a convertible, it's $850,000. A two-door coupe goes from $645,000 to $745,000. The Silver Ghost peaks out at nearly a million dollars, while you can get a Rolls-Royce Cullinan, that's an SUV, for $695,000. And all of those figures are drive-away prices. But the cost of owning a Rolls is more than just the price. The average fuel consumption figures quoted by the company range between 17 to 19 miles per gallon in the old measure. The Australian government rating in the new system puts it a little higher at 14 to 14.9 litres per hundred. As a road safety measure, we often advise people who park their cars in snow areas to remove ice and snow from their vehicle before driving so that it doesn't cover your windscreen, hit another car or pedestrian or just leave a big pile of snow on the road. But there is rarely a specific law against having too much snow on your car. Some states in America allow police to ticket motorists if their vehicle is considered a danger but only a handful have laws specific to what has been referred to as ICE missiles. Connecticut motorists can be fined $120 if they don't remove accumulated snow or ice. If a missile causes personal injury or property damage, the penalty is $200 to $1,000 for non-commercial drivers and $500 to $1,250 for commercial drivers. Last year, Connecticut State Police issued 372 citations to non-commercial drivers and nearly 150 to commercial drivers. There are moves for more American states to have ice and snow on a car, a specific illegal act. And that has been the news. Lotus has produced its first all-electric car, and it's not your average day-to-day runabout. David Brown has details. The Lotus Avia has four electric engines, one on each wheel. In total, they produce 1,470 kilowatts of power and nearly 1,700 newton metres of torque. That's 12 times the horsepower of a Corolla and nine times the torque. The Avia is the first model from Lotus since it was taken over by the Chinese company Geely in 2017. It has a 400 kilometre range and a maximum of 130 will be built. Each one will sell for about $3 million. They claim that using the most powerful charging technology currently available, it takes only 12 minutes to get to 80% charge and 18 minutes to get to 100%. Before you buy your next new car, check out carreviewcentral.com.au. At carreviewcentral.com.au, you'll find easy-to-read, easy-to-understand, unbiased new car reviews. We want to help you get exactly the right car for you. carreviewcentral.com.au. Ready for you now and whenever a new car is on your agenda. This is Overdrive across Australia. And as we do each week, we will be talking with Rob. And our first conversation is, of course, to how to cope if you are in a car that's caught in the middle of a bushfire. 
So, Rob, there's been a lot of bushfires around stating the obvious. I note that the New South Wales Fire Commissioner, Bushfire Commissioner, has just come out and commented on the fact that we're going to have an independent inquiry. He noted that we've had 50 since 1939 and that they have, in the last one, made 22 recommendations. He's not condemning it. It just says, let's get on with it. I think there's a, a valid comment there. Oh, absolutely. I think the thing with those sort of inquiries is not so much to have an inquiry, is to actually implement the recommendations afterwards. And it included things like uh, you know, giving tax breaks to firefighters and things like that, which I think should be really good. Now, if you are in a bushfire area, what should you do? Well, avoid it in the first place. There are things such as you can go into your... Uh, search engine fire danger rating and bushfire alerts. Of course, there's the Bureau of Meteorology as well, but there are also links to an emergency survival kit, battery-operated radio, protective clothing, including woolen blankets and, of course, some water. But if you are caught in a fire in a car, stay calm. Now, the th interesting thing, position the car to minimise the exposure to radiant heat. So you park away from dense bush, try and find a clearing perhaps, park behind a barrier such as a wall or rocky outcrop. Now the car should also face towards the oncoming fire front. Now of course you might think then that the biggest, widest open space is in the middle of the road. Uh, that's not a wise idea. You should park off the road with your hazard lights on simply because someone else may be beetling along that road, rightly or wrongly, trying to get away. And a crash that uh, makes your car both opens up the car and makes it of course impossible to drive helps nobody. Once the fire's coming, shut all your vents, turn off your air conditioning, turn off your engine, cover your mouth with a damp cloth, cover yourself with a woolen blanket and drink plenty of water, get down low, stay down until the sound of the fire has passed, carefully then leaving the car because the car will be hot. Try and avoid it though, prevention of course is better than cure. I think there are some advice too for both caravans and bushwalkers, uh, Rob. Yeah, there are some leaflets that you can get from the associations in terms of uh, bushfire safety for caravans, camping and bushwalking. Um, and, and, I mean, the thing that I always say to people when they're out and about is to certainly be prepared and plan ahead, uh, listen to all the instructions from the, the fire service people, and if they're told to leave, leave straight away. Yes, there's uh, no substitute for getting out and getting out quickly. Sorry, could I just go quickly back to one comment you made about parking off the road? That is absolutely critical because people do think that the middle of the road is the safest spot, whereas actually on the opposite side to the road that the, the fire is coming from is usually safer. And also in those sort of situations, the fire trucks are often burtling down those roads at a rapid rate, getting to where they need to go. And sometimes the visibility is, is just minimal. Have you seen that short video clip from, I think it's up around the Hunter Valley? There's a fire truck, there's a road, it you know, looks all okay, but within three minutes, this fire, they get the fire truck out, but they keep, uh, I don't know who's doing the filming, it must be, uh, I hope, not someone holding a camera, of course, but it just sweeps over it with a ferocity that you wouldn't believe. Uh, the, the two things that I think people don't understand how, how dangerous they are in separate ways is fire and flood. Yeah. It's something that we really ought to just think about now so that you can remain calm. 
and so that you can accept that you've got to do things and that they are smart things to do, including getting out quick. But, of course, with flood, not trying to get across something you just don't know the depth or overcompensate with your trust in your four-wheel drive or big SUV. That's a topic for another conversation. It's a, that's a, a conversation in itself, that one. <laughs> and a very important one. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, the term SUV might give you more of a family feel than a sports car. Maserati is just one manufacturer that likes to think their SUVs are both practical and sporty. Rob Fraser's been driving the Levante S Grand Sport. Here, the Maserati is amongst the best in the segment. It certainly isn't the fastest in the 0-100km/h times. That mantle is claimed by others. But it displays a level of sophisticated ride and handling that belies its bulk. Many vehicles in this segment will perform, but are soulless. The Maserati is a grand tourer in the traditional sense. It will take four in comfort, five at a pinch, accommodate all their luggage, and allow you to travel long distances without fuss. At around $190,000 for the Levante S Grand Sport, plus the usual on-road costs, it's certainly not cheap. Yet when you buy a Maserati, you are buying an experience that engages all the senses. And check out the full Maserati at Levante review, carreviewcentral.com.au. This is Overdrive across Australia. Kia outperformed other manufacturers in 2019 by growing sales when most were down in numbers. They predict they will increase again this year and they could do so because in their top five selling cars in 2019, only one was an SUV. Now they have the Seltos on the market and will have the smaller Stonic SUV later this year. I spoke to Damien Meredith, Kia's Chief Operating Officer, just last week on why people are now picking Kias. Five years ago, the buy a Kia was all about price, and now price is number three. The first is how the car looks, second is the warranty, and third is, is price. So there's been a seismic shift in regards to why people now buy, buy the brand. This is Overdrive across Australia. The provenance of a vehicle, its record of who has owned it in the past, can have a huge impact on its value. A famous previous owner can send the price through the roof. The Vanarama company in the UK has listed the vehicles with the highest percentage increase in value if they were once owned by a well-known person. President Trump will be initially happy to know that his Ferrari F430 sold for a price 151% higher than average. However, he would have to change the subject when he learnt that a 2000 Jeep Cherokee worth $5,600 that was once owned by Barack Obama sold for over $74,000, an increase of 1,200%. After the Obama Jeep, the best results for the top 10 vehicles were Madonna's Mini Cooper S, Frank Sinatra's Rolls-Royce Caniche, David Beckham's Porsche 911 Turbo, Steve McQueen's Chevrolet 3100 truck, John Cena, 
a famous wrestler, they tell me, for his Ford GT, Ringo Starr for a Mini Cooper S, a 1966 model, Justin Bieber for his Ferrari 458, and in ninth place, Donald Trump's Ferrari, rounding out the top 10, Rowan Atkinson's Mercedes-Benz 500E. It would appear as though it is generally the older celebrities who make for the big dollars. Brian Giggs, the current manager of the Welsh football team and a former player, only gained 4% on his vehicle, as did a 1970 Aston Martin DBS V8 owned by comedian Steve Coogan. A Bentley Continental GT Speed, once owned by footballer Cristiano Ronaldo, sold for just 1% above its market value. At such a low level of desire as shown in these last examples, this would suggest that these ownerships are anecdotal rather than life-changing. You're listening to Overdrive. Often when we're looking at a car to buy, there are a few things that are our top priorities. Rob Fraser recently took a Subaru Impreza for a drive, and here's his top five most important things. Firstly, when driving the Impreza, it feels planted to the road. It's compliant ride and dynamics being similar to cars costing many thousands of dollars more. Next to the impressive list of safety features over and above the five-star ANCAP safety rating, including the brilliant symmetrical all-wheel drive system, the innovative eyesight system, and vision assist features all designed to work with the driver. Third is the interior ambiance and driver ergonomics, with soft touch points everywhere for your elbows and hands. The overall layout of the dash is very convenient and easy to use. Next, it's packed with features such as heated front seats, sunroof, automatic LED steering responsive headlights, auto wipers and high beam, plus a whole heap more. Finally, the practicality of the hatchback design with flexible seating, convenient hooks and a low load height for luggage. The Subaru Impreza 2-litre S all-wheel drive is a touch under $30,000, plus the usual costs and definitely good value. You're listening to Overdrive. Okay, Rob, now, what's coming up uh, in the month ahead if I'm a bit of a tourer, if I'm a bit of person that likes to get around and visit some nice quintessentially Australian places? Look, I, I've, I've gone through and had a look at a few of the things that are around and picked out probably some of the most interesting and sometimes a little bit quirky events that are coming up in the month of February. Let's start off with the good old Australian one, the Banjo-Patterson Festival in Orange. You know, I'm tempted to make sure I can get to that. i tell you why. I love Banjo-Patterson, but in fact, I think he has a lot of very interesting things to say. I've quoted Clancy of the Overflow, particularly one part of it, in many, uh, well, quite a few technical papers we've given at conferences to do with transport data. The problem with transport data is it ought to be the foundation on which we build all our big transport infrastructure. Do we know what people are doing what they want and how we might help them yet in many ways we cut corners with it and now we're going into big data it's a case of us saying that well we're taking it for granted that it's going to be the right answer yet it needs a lot of works and in Clancy of the Overflow he has that lovely line for townsfolk have no time to grow they have no time to waste and we are now rushing at big transport solutions as though we have no time to waste, and in some ways that's true, but that shouldn't stop us getting the right amount of data 
and resolving it and understanding it and pondering over it a bit, not just to see what it immediately shows us, but what the depth of understanding it can bring to us. So do I take from that, David, that our transport planners have not advanced any further than when Banjo-Patterson was born in 1864? Well, they haven't quite gone back to the horse and cart. You know, in some ways it might be better. (laughs) There was a parody written of Clancy of the Overflow. I'll read just one verse. But the looming deadlines haunt me and their harrowing senders taunt me that they need response this evening for tomorrow is too late. But their texts, too quickly ended, often can't be comprehended for their writers have no time to think. They have no time to wait. And I've got to say that uh, I don't know about you, but I get emails along that line many a time. This is Overdrive across Australia. And it's time for some quirky news. How good it is to have back in the new year, Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. I chased up our good friend Dean Oliver, the resident artist for the Overdrive program, as every good motoring program should have, and he was in his 1976 combi camper van. I really think we ought to do a road test of that. Do you agree? I agree, David. They're a classic machine, the old combi. Dean's is in lovely shape, and uh, look, I'm only sorry I wasn't able to uh, to see it the other day. It's a case of not being elegant it's not one that's being restored beyond its original condition it has the character of the time i like that yes a sort of a patina and it's even like it's a classic color it's that kind of greeny mustard yellow that that uh probably only ever saw the light of day on a combi and, uh, you know, it's it's a classic colour in its own right, isn't it? Yeah, and it's got an extended roof and it's got things in it. Now, the thing that I would be really looking at is what should I look for in the car? And I think its character is not reflected in its performance, which is almost a misnomer. Uh, it's, uh, it's reflected in the way, because it is a camper van with a little old fridge and old cupboards that has a number of little features that have been modified for by the owner, right? Dean and his father, uh, uh, and, of course, his mother, and they toured around Australia right up into the Northern Territories and did some painting from the back of the car. But it, it is just lovely. Uh, for example, it's got wind windows, and on the driver's side, the little knob on the end of the winder broke, so he's replaced it with the little knob off the top of a teapot. <laughs> That's classic, isn't it? I think that says more about the car than any other feature you could, you know, that has a standard feature that came with it. That's more about how it's been used. Lived, yeah. Like you you live with the car and you learn to do things to make your life easier, I suppose, or to, to resolve problems that come along. Why would you pay for a VW winder when the top of the teapot's perfectly fine? Well, yes, uh, if it's a VW, it probably would have cost several hundred dollars. Mm. He was a little late getting there, and I said, what, your sat-nav didn't work. (laughs) And his notion of a sat-nav, of course, is an old book directory. The Sidway. I know, I can see it in the photograph. It's uh, back to the old way. We all used those, didn't we? We had them in the car, and one of the awkward things was 
if your car had didn't have a shelf or a glove box of the right size, you were kind of stumped with the, the Sidway or the other brands. There were different ones, weren't there? UBD and the um, and there was Gregory's too, wasn't there? And, oh, Gregory's. Yes. Greg, Gregory used to be the head of the cartography department for the NRMA. And he created the you know, NRMA, the motoring organisation for the state of New South Wales. But he uh, then went out and created this uh, directory, which is wonderful. I said, uh, Dean, uh, did you just search for the name of our street? And he said, search, you mean go to the index. Yeah, <laughs> search, yeah. Search in the, con- in the sense that you go to a library or... <laughs> <laughs> I tried to ring you, Dean, but perhaps you didn't have your Bluetooth connected because I couldn't get through. <laughs> and he said, the only thing I've got is a sawtooth rather than a Bluetooth. <laughs> and wouldn't it be a shame if anybody tried to update these a vehicle like this to more modern times? As, um, I think probably taking something like this away is, uh, you know, might even be more reliable than a, a more modern four-wheel drive because your, your ability to repair it on the run because you know the vehicle so intimately is enhanced my brother-in-law who loves jaguars and i think you've used that great line of you've dreamed of owning a jaguar and woke up screaming (laughs) he has uh, circumstances you can buy say a new radio for it which has the outward design of the old radio but it has digital technology behind it that's just not the same is it david that you're relying on a piece of english electrical product Relying on English electrical products is almost a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Indeed. Do you wait for the valves to warm up? We'll go into this road test in a little more detail uh, later, but it's got lovely little things like on the back there's just a very small patch which was from the regiment of his father. Oh, okay. It just made for those uh, references to what was very important to him. And, of course... One of the great names in art and art schools in Australia is Ashton, and one of the Ashton family, uh, Richard Ashton, was good friends, uh, and in fact I think uh, Dean was friend with a lot of them. Uh, He painted a little painting that was in the Volkswagen, which I was going to say might be worth more than the car, although (laughs) the way the prices are going now... It's just, I, I just love the notion of getting into this wonderful old vehicle and having a little painting there by a celebrated family of the Australian art world. That's a marvellous little surprise, isn't it? Mm. All right, well, so we better plan out the road trip the, and what we do in order to test it, I think, Dean. Uh, I think, Brian, we might, uh, we might even do a thing. I mean, I remember years ago just going out somewhere and cooking frankfurts on the, on the little stove. Just have to wait for the fire bands to end. Well, that's true too, isn't it? Yeah. We might have to wait until winter. Winter, yeah. It's burning season, David. <laughs> and there we are. Brian, all right, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome, David. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to the Overdrive team, those great characters that are an essential part of this program, especially this week, Brian Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just. 
Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au and previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. And of course, there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. 